certainly appreciate your prayers. I appreciate those of you that are praying for my health. Uh, Please keep doing that. I need it. And just pray for us all the time. We need prayers, and prayers are what gets done what we do. We're glad to... We're glad to have folks praying for us. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Probably a familiar verse, uh, familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, everybody knows this one, but, uh, but we're going to look at it maybe from a little different standpoint this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to skip the first eight verses, not because they're not really important, but uh, just because that's not what we're going to talk about today. And start with verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 9, it says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this passage of Scripture, Lord, for this church here. Lord, I just pray that you'd give me the words to say today. Lord, let let your Spirit speak to each heart in a very special way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look at a couple of things real quickly. The first one is there in verse 9. It says, we are laborers together with God. The first thing I want you to note there is it says we're laborers, not loafers. It could say we're loafers together with God, but it doesn't say that. We're laborers together, but the most important thing is we're laborers together with God. You know, as I have been doing this kind of ministry, I have worked with a lot of very impressive people, people who impress me, people that I look up to, and it's an honor to work with those people. It's an honor to just be serving on the same team with them or just to be in the same pastor's meeting or missions conference with them. That's an honor. And yet what a greater honor it is to work together with God. I mean, think about it. Who would you like to work together with in the world? They're nothing compared to God. And yet we have an opportunity in this life, we have an opportunity to work together with God. What a thought. We can be laborers together with God. But then on over in verse 10 it says, But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. We're laborers together with God, but we've got to take heed how we do that labor. We have an opportunity to labor together with God. Have you ever considered what an amazing thing that is? Linda has a sister, and uh, Linda's sister lives not too far from us, and she calls on the phone two or three times a week. 
and she just has this standard way of calling on the phone. You pick up the phone and say hello, and she says, what you doing? I always know when, when she calls Linda, I always know who's on the other end of the phone because Linda starts explaining what she's doing. And when she calls me, she says, what you doing? And I always say, I'm talking on the phone. <laughs> because, you know, what, what else can you say? But, uh, you know, we, so, so we get a kick out of that, and it's consistent with her for some reason. But that brings to mind a thought, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing right now? What are you doing with every minute of this life that God has given you? Imagine if you were doing whatever you were doing yesterday, and your phone rang, and you picked it up, and it was God, and he said, what you doing? What you doing? What are you doing right now? We have a job to do. God has a plan for us. If you're here today, and you're saved, and God hasn't taken you home to be in heaven, I don't care if you're old or young, rich or poor, no matter what, God has a plan for you if you're here today. But most people never find God's plan. And one of the reasons they don't find it is because they're scared to ask God, what's your plan for me? And if ever my testimony can do anything else for anyone else, I hope it is this. You need someday to get on your face before God and say, God, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. And God will show you what he wants you to do. And you know what most people do? Same thing I did when God first told me that. I, you want, they want to run. Oh, not me. You got the wrong fellow, God. But listen, God has a plan for you. And if you're just willing to go along with it, he'll show you things you can't believe. It's unbelievable to work together with God. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants to come beside us. He wants us to do things that we couldn't possibly do on our own. And all we have to do is say, God, I want to know your plan for my life. If you've never done that ever before, I, I beg you, do that today. But mean it. God, I'll do what you want me to do. Just show me. And you'll be surprised what comes out of that. Well, so God has a plan for us, and it's bigger and it's greater than we can possibly imagine. But you know what? This shows us something else. We need a foundation if we're going to do God's will, we need a foundation, something to build on. We need somewhere to start, and we have a perfect foundation. By the way, that's the Word of God. We need a foundation. I just uh, heard about a church the other day that uh, way back 50 years ago, they decided they needed a new building, and so they they took out a bond issue instead of going to the God. Oh, my. Uh, and they dug a big hole in the ground, way bigger than they needed, and they poured cement walls in that hole, and uh, they didn't put any steel in the cement except just on the top. And before they ever got the first part of the building built, the rains came, and the whole thing just collapsed. And they had a, a hole in the ground and a big debt and nothing that they could do about it. And the pastor said, this is it, I'm leaving. And uh, so I... I know the poor guy who came in and got to be the next pastor of that church. And he finally straightened things out, but it took him 40 years. Okay? But they didn't have a proper foundation. You want to do something for God, you've got to start out with a proper foundation, and that's God's Word. And then it says here you need a cornerstone, which is Christ Jesus. And several times throughout Scripture, I think seven or eight times, 
Jesus is described as a cornerstone. And if you think about that, in those days, the cornerstone was the most important part of the building. And they would have someone come in, someone who really, really knew what he was doing, and he would get a perfect square stone. And he would set that in just the right place, and then everything else in the building would be built on that. Now, I don't know if they even still do this anymore, but when I was a young man, I had to go through shop class in high school. And the first thing we had to do in shop class is they would hand us a little old chunk of pine board, and they would say, you are to make this board square. In fact, before you could go on with anything else in the class, you had to make that board square. And I mean, you had to take a little square and line it up so that there was no light under it anywhere, and you had to do all of that with a hand plane. It took two weeks to make a board square. I mean, it is just tough to make something absolutely perfect. But that's what they do with a cornerstone. They'd make it absolutely square and absolutely straight so it was perfect. And everything else had to be built on that. And everything that was built on that perfect cornerstone would straighten up and become perfect. There's a lot of buildings in the, in the world that aren't really perfect. I remember walking one time down a street in Mexico and looking up at this five-story building, and it was leaning about two feet over the street. <laughs> the whole wall was crooked like this, and I said, man, don't these people have a level or a plum or anything to, you know, it's terrible. And I was scared to walk under it, you know, but it's still standing today, I guess. But uh, the point is you've got to have the thing square that you start out with, and our cornerstone is Christ Jesus. And I want you to understand if you don't, if you don't have Christ in your life, there's absolutely nothing that you can do that is worthwhile. You can work your fingers to the bone. You can give everything you have to give. You can be the most philanthropic person in the whole world. And if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, none of it will count for anything. It won't amount to a hill of beans in eternity. And listen to me very carefully. One of the scariest verses in the Scripture is Jesus said, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done wonderful works in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. If you don't have the foundation, nothing else matters. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, no matter what you do, you're not building on the right foundation and it won't come out right. You need to get that right first. You need to realize Jesus Christ died for your sins and you need him and you need his salvation and until you get that right, nothing else counts. But once you've been saved, you've got that foundation, you've got that cornerstone, now what are you going to do? You've got to begin to build. And you need a plan. You need a plan to build on that foundation. You know, the, probably the oldest cliche in the world is nobody plans to fail, they fail to plan. And that's a financial cliche, but it... It goes a long way in the Christian life as well. You need a plan. You need to know what you're doing before you start building. Now, I am probably the world's worst builder. And I, I've been responsible for building a lot of buildings, church buildings and Sunday school buildings and houses and all of that stuff. Down in Guyana, I built several. And uh, 
you know, I kind of did it by the guessing by gosh method. You know, you, you, you put these walls up, and now that we've got the walls, all right, how are we going to build the roof to fit on these walls? And I've always kind of admired architects who can, you know, plan a building, and then they sit down and they produce a drawing. And you've probably seen in those colored drawings that they hang up after the building's built, and it looks just like the final product. You say, man, these guys really knew what they were doing. They had a plan. And what a difference there is between the buildings that are built with a plan and the buildings that are built by the guessing by gosh method. Okay? You've got to have something set up that's a plan. And a plan begins with goals. What is it that you want? What do you want to do? What do you expect to do? We ought to have some goals as Christians. We ought to have goals in our life. And here's just a couple of goals I want you to think about. First goal is you want to go to heaven when you die, right? I mean, that ought to be everybody's goal. You ought to say, you know what? I don't want to die and go to hell. So I have a goal. I want to win heaven. I want to get there. And that's a great first step, but it's not enough. You might remember the parable of the sower. And Jesus talks about the sower went and sowed the seed and, and some fell in the wayside and the, the devil came along and took it away. But then it talks about the second seed and it said that earth received the seed and it sprang up quickly. But then when the heat came, it withered because it had no root. A lot of people receive the Lord gladly because they don't want to go to hell. And who Who does? But when a little strife comes along, they wither and and they don't have any fruit. So you want to win heaven, that's important, but that's just a first step. And then the next goal you ought to set is to win Christ, to have a relationship with Christ, for Christ to be a part of your life. And church becomes important and the Word of God becomes important and your prayer life becomes important. And that's great. And that's a second step and that's a good place to go. But the problem is you're like the third seed in the parable of the sower. You see, you spring up and you become a great plant. But the Bible says that seed brought no fruit to perfection. You ever, you ever buy an ear of corn down at the store or in the market and you, you peel it open and it's, boy, it looks like a good ear of corn on the outside, but you peel it open and there's just a cob in there, no, no corn that's come out on it. Nothing there to even eat. And you go, wow, that's, well, that's kind of the picture of someone who's got a great relationship with the Lord but not bringing any fruit to perfection. It's a good thing, but it's not there yet. And then, then you get around to the fourth seed, and that's winning souls. Scripture says, he that winneth souls is wise. But it also says of the fourth seed, and they brought forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Now think about that. Wouldn't it be great if you had as your goal, I want to lead 100 people to the Lord in my life. That's what I expect to do. That's what I'm setting my life forward. That's my goal. What about just 60? What about just 30? What about just one? You know, I, I read a survey, one of those church people surveys that they publish all the time, and they asked people, how many people have you led to the Lord in your life? And the answer across the board was zero. That's sad. 
But you know what was even sadder was the next question. They asked, how many people do you expect to lead to your life, to lead to the Lord in your life? And it was the same answer. No wonder. If you don't expect to lead anyone to the Lord, you're not going to. If you don't plan on leading someone to the Lord, you're not going to. But what would happen to the harvest if none of the seeds that you planted brought anything to fruit? You see, you need to plan. You need to say, hey, part of my life's plan is I want to see souls saved for Christ. Winning souls, that's important. And that's, you say, well, that's as good as it gets. Not quite. There's one thing better, and that is to win disciples. You see, when you win someone to the Lord, you need to train them because it's great to have 30, 60, or 100 fold on the seed, but who's going to sow it? You can go out and sow it all yourself, but wouldn't it be better if you recruited more sowers to go out and sow the seed to others? So those are plans. Those are goals that you have for your life. You want to make it to heaven. You want to have a relationship with Christ. By the way, those are great things. But you want to win souls, and you want to train workers to sow more seed. That's part of a plan. And then the next thing is concentrate on that plan. If you have a plan to serve the Lord, if you have a goal, concentrate on that goal. You know, the Apostle Paul used the example of a race a lot of times. I'm told some people believe that when Paul was imprisoned in Rome, the prison where he was overlooked a big racetrack that's there. And sure enough, there's a big racetrack there and there's a big prison there. And Paul might have been in a cell that could see over the racetrack. I don't know. But he made a lot of references to races. And he he said things like this. He said, lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before you. I mean, think about that. You have a goal that you want to reach. And there's some things holding you back. There's some weights, there's some sins, there's some debts or possessions or family or whatever it may be that's stopping you, that's keeping you back from reaching the goal that Christ has for you. He says, lay those things aside. Lay them aside. And then he goes on in in the same vein in a, a different scripture there in Ephesians. He says, forgetting those things which are behind And boy, do we let our past hold us back sometimes. Forgetting those things that are behind and pressing forward to the things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, think about that. We have a a goal to press towards. And we've got to forget what's behind. We've got to forget the things that are holding us down. And we've got to concentrate on reaching that goal. I uh, saw a saying one time, I thought it was kind of neat. It says, obstacles are what you see when you take your eye off of the goal. If you've ever been out in the woods and used a compass, you know when you're trying to orient yourself with a compass, you figure out what direction you want to go, and you look at the compass, and you find some prominent point up there that's in the direction you want to go. And no matter what happens, you keep walking towards that point because that's where you want to get. Wouldn't it be great if we set our lives like a compass point and said, you know what, I'm going towards that. And I don't care what obstacles I have to cross. I don't care what hardships I have to go through. I'm going to that point. And I'm going to make it because that's my goal. 
You see, we need to set goals. We need to concentrate on getting to those goals through the tough times, through the hard times, through the easy times. Keep our eye on where we're supposed to be. And then we need the right stuff. Look what it says. It said, Now, if any man build on this foundation gold, silver, or precious stones, that's the right stuff. And then it goes on, wood, hay, stubble. That's not the right stuff. We need to build with the right stuff. And, you know, stuff is a big part of our lives today, isn't it? One of the fastest growing industries in America is the storage industry. Because people got so much stuff it won't fit in their house anymore, so they got to go down and put it in the storage room. And then they get that one full, they rent another one. And stuff, stuff, stuff. And we live our lives for stuff. We live our lives for things that don't matter in eternity. We want a faster car. We want to we go on a cruise. We want to go to Disney World. We want a bigger house. We want a boat or whatever it may be. And we look at those things and we say, you know, we, I can... I can earn enough money to have this in just a few hours. And so we spend an hour here and an hour there, and the hours become days. And the days become weeks, and the weeks become months, and the months become years. And finally it becomes a lifetime, and at the end of our life we look back, and you know what? we got a lot of stuff. And it's wood, and it's hay, and it's stubble. Someone once said, if the devil can't make you bad, all he needs to do is make you busy. And that's true. We spend our lives working for this and working for that, and none of it matters. Solomon learned this lesson. Keep your finger there in Corinthians. Turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 11. you don't look at it carefully, Ecclesiastes can be a depressing book. Ecclesiastes 2.11 says, Then I looked on all the works that my hand had wrought. This was the richest man in the world at the time. Smartest man in the world at the time. King of perhaps the most successful kingdom in the world at the time. And he says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no prophet under the sun. Turn over to chapter 5, verse 11. And by the way, I'm just hitting the highlights. It goes on and on. The whole book's this way. It says, When goods increase, there increase that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? We've got all kinds of stuff today that all we, it's not good for anything but to look at. And then finally... Clear over in chapter 12, verse 13, he said, Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for that is the whole duty of man. Wow. And then look at the next verse, because this is important. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work 
shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. You know what? There's a judgment coming. And God is going to try how we've built. I said at the beginning, let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Think about what are you building with. It's going to be tried by fire. And it's either going to withstand the fire or it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. What lasts in this world is only what's done for Christ. What lasts beyond your lifetime is only what happens in the hearts and souls of men that are going to go to eternity, either in heaven or hell. So the question is, what's going to happen when the fire comes on our lives? And I want you to notice, too, verse 15, what a, what a reassuring verse. It says, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. What a wonderful verse on the security of the believer. You could preach a whole message on that one alone. But it's not about just getting to heaven. It's about bearing fruit. It's about having rewards in heaven. It's about hearing the Lord say those wonderful words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Now I'll make you ruler over many. You see, we have a fire coming. And sometimes we look around us and everything we're doing is wood and hay and stubble. And we spend our seconds, our minutes, our hours, our days producing things that aren't going to amount to a hill of beans in eternity. And we don't plan to reach souls. You say, what do I do about that? Well, one of my favorite parables, Matthew chapter 20, you don't have to turn there because you all know it by heart, the parable of the laborers in the field. And you remember what happened. You remember that the, the householder went and he found men to work in his field in the early morning. And then he went back at midday and then he went in the afternoon. And then finally he went just an hour before sunset. And he hired people to work. And in the end of the day, they all received the same. Now let me tell you, I don't know where you're at in your life. Maybe some of you are very young, and the Lord's looking for workers, and you can put in a full day's labor. Maybe you're middle-aged, and it's, it's noon for you. Maybe you're in the afternoon. Maybe you're like me. It's getting on towards evening a little bit, you know. I, I don't know where you are, but listen, no matter where you are, it's not too late to start building God's building. No matter, listen, no matter what you've put on that foundation already, no matter how much wood or hay and stubble you've put down, it's still time to put on some precious stones and gold and silver. And God's still calling for laborers to come and work in his vineyard. Let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. As my sister-in-law says when she calls on the phone, what you doing? What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your days and your hours and your minutes? I told you this morning in Sunday school, every time your watch ticks, three people pass into hell without Christ that have never heard the gospel. What are you doing with your life? First of all, do you, do you have the right foundation to even build on? If you're not saved, don't leave today without getting saved. You can't do anything for the Lord if you're lost. If you're saved, you need to have some goals. Listen, 
I can't imagine somebody saying, you know, my, I, have a, I have a spiritual goal of never leading anyone to the Lord in the rest of my life. I just, that just floors me. But that's the average Christian in the United States of America today. I, I, have, a, I have a goal. I'm going to be in church every Sunday, but I'm never going to talk to my lost neighbors about Jesus. Those aren't proper goals. You need to have the right kind of goals. You need to have a plan to reach that goal. Your life needs to center around that goal. You say, I know you got a job. I know you got things to do. I, but you need to plan all of your life around those goals of reaching folks for Christ. Those goals of bringing people into his kingdom and then bringing them into his church and then training them up to be disciples so they can go out and reach others. That's the goal, and that's what we should live for. You've got to plan for that. If the fires of judgment hit today, what would happen to what you've built on God's foundation? Would it stand the test or would it burn? Simple question. What you doing with your life? Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed for just a minute. I know this is a hard message, and I know, listen, folks, this is a great church, and you're a great bunch of people. But I want to know, are you doing everything that the Lord would have you to do? What you doing? Have you found that work that God wants you to do with the rest of your life? And then are you planning your life around that work? If God called you right now and said, what you doing? what would your answer be? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder if there's anyone here that would say, you know what, the Lord spoke to me this morning, I should be doing more. I need to do something different. And you'd raise a hand to attest to that. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Amen, amen. Hands everywhere. I need to do more. I wonder if there's anyone here you'd say, you know, I have never told God that I'd do whatever he asked me to do, and I need to do that today. Is there anyone like that? I need to tell God. I need to make myself available. Amen. Are there others? Amen. Amen. Are there others? I need to make myself fully available to God today to do whatever he wants me to do. Won't you come and do that? Now, is there anyone here that could say, you know, I'm not sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I want to go to heaven, but I'm not 100% sure, and I need to know that for sure. I won't call out your name. I won't embarrass you, but would you raise your hand? I need you to pray for me. I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Anyone like that? We're going to have a time of invitation in a minute. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a time that you can come. You say, oh, I can make a decision at my seat. Sure you can, but it will mean a whole lot more if you step out and come down to this altar. That will seal it in your life. Father, thank you so much for touching hearts this morning. Thank you for allowing us the privilege and the honor to be laborers together with you on your building. Lord, I pray that you would touch hearts. I pray that you would have your complete will in each life during this invitation time. Lord, move as you would on this assembly. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.